Hi, good. Oh, is this on? Is it working? It's going to fall down, though. <laughs> I just, I won't touch it. I'll just do this. <laughs> oh. Oh, no, now. There we go. We don't have microphones in the UK. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We do. Of course we do. Um, yeah, so my name is Zana. Um, now, it's short for Susanna, because I, I know my accent can be confusing, and people go, what was your name? Um, so it's short for Susanna. So however you would say Susanna, and just take the Sue off. Um, and that's, that's Zana. So um, now, actually, I'm going to just take this off because I can't see people over here and it freaks me out a little bit. Um, so <laughs> it was so difficult for me to decide what I was going to talk to you all about this morning because God has had such an impact in my life time and time and time again that I just couldn't pick one story. I was really, really struggling, even to the point that yesterday I was still changing my mind about what I was going to say. So I apologize if this is waffly and I end up saying something completely different. It'll be a surprise to me what I end up saying as well. But, um, you know, so really what I had to do in the end was think, what was that one really, really pivotal story where God um, spoke into my life and, and changed things around for me? Um, and actually, it's a, it's a story that I've never spoken about publicly before. Um, and uh, I do feel a little bit vulnerable sharing it. But I really believe in the redemptive power of stories. And that song that we sang just then about how God takes the things from your past and uses it for his glory. Well, that is one of the reasons that I am I'm sharing this today. So five years ago, I had a major breakdown um, and lost my job and everything. Was off sick from work for a long time. Um, and I got to a point where I just didn't want to live anymore. And I um, decided that I was going to kill myself. Um, and, I, and I tried, I attempted. And I, I'm not going to go into the details of what happened there, but I know for a fact that if God hadn't intervened um, and with, in, in the kind of the circumstances around what happened there, I would be dead. Um, but he didn't let that happen. He stopped that happen, and I ended up in hospital, and I ended up getting the treatment that I needed at that time. Now, I have supportive friends, I have supportive family, um, and medical professionals who helped a lot. But, um, but it really is God that saved me, and it's God that gave me a reason to live. There were people that helped me live, but it was God that gave me the reason and um, I'm just going to read this to you because now I'm shaking. <laughs> um, so this was what happened. So I was in hospital for um, about 11 days, about 11, 11 days. <laughs> um, and uh, at the end, they decided to um, not release me. What's the word? That makes it sound like it was prison. Uh, Thank you, discharge. <laughs> uh, they discharged me because they realized it wasn't helping. It was actually making me worse being in there. That's the, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that it wasn't about the money, but we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, um, but that evening, when I, got, when I got home, and I was in my bedroom, and I was on my own, I was just, you know, I still wanted to die, and I was struck with just a sense of futility and overwhelmed by a kind of, by, um, by sadness. And um, so I'm just going to read what happened there. I just want to be in heaven with you, I wept as I cried out to Jesus. I'm so tired and fed up. I can't keep going. Please let me die. I was consumed with an exhaustion that went beyond physical. It was a dark place, the darkest I've ever been, where I could see no way out but to end it all. 
Death was the welcome relief I longed for. As I imagined an afterlife where there would be no more sorrow, no more crying and no more pain, as the Bible promises. I genuinely believed that my friends and family would be okay. Of course, they'd be upset, but they would get over it and ultimately recognize that death was what I wanted, what I needed. It's only in retrospect, once I emerged from the dense cloud of depression months later, that I could see I wasn't thinking clearly. But at the time, it felt logical and reasonable. It was in that pit of despair that God spoke to me. It wasn't an audible voice, so it could easily be dismissed as just one of my own thoughts. It was such a clear message, however, and so far removed from where I was at, spiritually and emotionally, that I have no doubt that that voice didn't originate from my own mind. So as I prayed, God let me die, I heard this gentle but firm answer in response. Not yet. I have a purpose for you. And that was it. I didn't feel any better particularly, but I had been given hope, a glimmer of meaning to cling on to, a reason to live. So at that moment, you know, it didn't, it didn't change the way I felt. As I said there, you know, I still wanted to die. Over the next few months, even years, I had a long recovery process that I had to go through, but it gave me hope, and that's so important. Um, shortly after that moment, I came across um, Romans 8 in the message version. If you have never read that, I really recommend reading it. It's an amazing chapter, and the message version just puts it so fantastically. Um, and I read that over and over and over again, several times a day for weeks, probably even months. I just read it and read it and read it. I even listened to it um, over and over again. And I'm just going to read you a very short um, passage from that bit, uh, which is... Um, 12, verses 12 and 15 in Romans 8 from the message. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you've received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? And so for me, that, that in particular, those, those verses, they have become the past five years like a mantra to me. So totally and utterly believing that, um, that, that God's spirit is beckoning and that there are things to do and places to go. Um, and to keep asking over and over again, praying that prayer, what is next, Papa? What is next? And I love the phrase adventurously expectant, um, to live life that's adventurously expectant. It's so exciting. And I've had amazing, um, I've had amazing uh, opportunities since I started praying that prayer. It's a dangerous prayer, I'll warn you that. Um, but I've had amazing opportunities, not least of which is being 4,000 miles away from my home and family um, back in England. You know, I could tell you so many amazing stories of what's happened since I've come here, but I came here um, supposed to be doing one internship, uh, which got cancelled. Um, so I basically came here saying, okay, God, I felt like you were sending me here. I think you still are. No idea what I'm going to do, but I'm coming anyway. Um, 
And it's been, it's been so fantastic. I've got to be involved in so many more ministries than I thought I was going to. And I have a real heart and a passion for the LGBT community, my community, to show them that, um, that God loves them and that they are welcome and included. Um, and I didn't even know about, uh, three months ago, I didn't even know about UVC Church. Um, and I've been so welcomed and accepted here um, that I just want to kind of somehow capture that sense of belonging that you guys all exude. <laughs> Um, somehow capture it and bottle it and take it back to the UK with me. Um, and I know that everyone's really upset that Trey's going back to the UK, but oh my goodness, I'm so excited. <laughs> because, and hopefully I'm going to meet with him uh, sometime between now and when I go, um, because I believe that there is something going on in Chicago uh, with the LGBT community. And I just, I want to take that home with me to the UK because, you know, there are, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer people there who have been told as well that they're not welcome. Um, but they are, and we know they are. And I just want to go and share that with them. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. I'm going to pray over Zana, and uh, I ask if you're comfortable, uh, go ahead and extend your hand out towards Zana as we're praying for her. Uh, It's an old tradition. Uh, This shows that we are focused on her as a community right now, and it also shows that, to me, it also symbolizes that in the world we are the hands of God, and we reach out to one another. Dear Lord, our Father and Mother, we thank you for Zana, for her life, for her testimony for the resurrection that she has truly experienced and is able to share with us today. Her story reminds us that we know we are saved and we must ask the question, saved for what? Zana is saved for much, and we thank you, Lord, for that ministry that she will go forward with into this world. We ask you to shower your blessings on her. Show her your love that she may pass it on to others and be a light in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be a healing for your flesh and a refreshment for your body. The word of God for the people of God. I want to take a moment of personal privilege and say that um, this week has been a normal week, and yet I am just in even more of an attitude of thanks for this community and for the ways that you guys have so intimately shared your life with me. Um, I've just been, I don't know, just really touched by that this week, and the ways that I know you guys are sharing your life together as the body of Christ. It's just, it's just really beautiful, and I've been in awe of it this week, and so I felt like I wanted to say that. Um, so thank you for, for being the body of Christ and for being the church here. Um, thank you for your testimony. Um, let's, uh, let's begin with prayer. God, 
for the people that are here today and for the people who are in this community but were not able to be here today, thank you. Thank you for your presence here in this body of believers and unbelievers, this body of people gathered here trying to figure out how to do life together and be faithful to you. Open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see you, to know you, to experience you in this moment and throughout this week. Amen. And I didn't mean to scare you there. I realized that as I said, may I take a moment, you guys might have been like, oh, what's happening? So I'm sorry. Maybe that, was a, maybe that was a test in anxiety to see how you guys were doing. Uh, so uh, several months ago, I was meeting, speaking of anxiety, I was meeting with my spiritual director, and I was um, agonizing over uh, something that had happened and um, regretting the ways that I had partaken in it and the ways that I didn't do what maybe I should have done and I was second-guessing the, the choices I had made. And you know how that happens. Like You look at a decision and you're like, should have I done this or this? Or what if I had done this? Maybe it would have been different. And I was just like processing all of that with him. And he, uh, he said, Brittany, I want to tell you a story. Do you know the story about the two Buddhist monks? And I was like, no, I don't. Um, and he's <laughs> anything a spiritual director should share with you always begins, do you know the story of two Buddhist monks, right? Um, and he said, you know, there were two monks walking um, in a town, and one was a wise monk, and the other was a novice. And um, they got to this place where there was water, and um, they saw a woman who was um, not able to cross because she would get her robes um, dirty. And she was yelling at her servants because they weren't helping her. And she was yelling at the situation. And she was just frustrated and angry. And without much pause, the wiser monk picked um, her up and carried her across the water on his back and set her down. And when he set her, and the whole time she was yelling and complaining. And he set her down and she shoved him to the side um, and walked on. And, and the two months, monks also walked on on their own separate way. They walked in silence for several hours, and finally the novice monk said, I can't believe that lady. She was so rude. She didn't even say thank you, and then she pushed you aside. That is just ridiculous. To which the wise monk said, I set that lady down two hours ago, and you're still carrying her. Today uh, we are talking about setting things down about letting things go, about um, anxiety. And um, <clears throat> it's interesting because anxiety is pervasive in our culture. The National Institute of Health um, estimates that one in seven Americans, not estimates, they can see by medical receipts, that one in seven Americans has a diagnosis of anxiety. One in, that's 40 million people in the United States that have anxiety. And that's just the people that have official clinical diagnosis. When you d dig down and look at family practice um, doctors, they say that about one in three of their patients complain of being anxious. One in three, that's, that's all, all of us, y'all. I mean, one in three. Um, so anxiety is 
in some ways, it's a hallmark of our modern culture. Um, I have a friend that works in campus ministry, and she said that that is the, <clears throat> all of the students she deals with have anxiety. Um, it, is, it, is, it is so much a part of life that we don't even know that it's not how it has to be, right? Um, so over the course of these four weeks, we are digging deep into the serenity prayer, the prayer that um, many of you might know. Uh, Sam, I forgot to ask, but do you have it available? <clears throat> I know you did last week because you're awesome. Um, I want to say this prayer together as a way to frame and, um, and maybe, or maybe I'll say it by myself because I didn't give you advance notice. Okay. Um, so let's say this together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Last week, we examined the first line of this prayer, and we talked about serenity. Um, serenity, um, it's about cultivating, a, you, you guys can go back and listen to the podcast, I'm just going to give you a little teaser, it's about cultivating a deep awareness of God's presence, that still, small voice that's in your head, the stillness of God that is in you. It's about cultivating that even in the midst of these many experiences that we have of situations and people that make us anxious, right, that produce anxiety. Serenity is about sitting, and, and I offered um, a couple of, uh, of spiritual practices for you. How many of you guys um, did the breath prayer at all this week with God grant me the serenity? Awesome. How many of you guys tried the prayer of examine where you sat for a little bit more time? Awesome. That's great. Um, and those are not, I'm not going to say, did you get results? Because these are, about, these are about crafting a lifelong process, you know, about creating habits of, of, of meditation toward God. So in one week's time, you probably didn't get results, right? You probably can't say, my anxiety has decreased, um, because it's about crafting a lifelong process. I also want to be clear as a pastor that prayer and meditation do not cure anxiety, Okay, um, anxiety is at once it's this function of biology and philosophy of body and mind of instinct and reason of personality and culture. Um, even as anxiety is experienced on a spiritual and psychological level, it is also something that is scientifically measured at a molecular level, right? So it is both of these things. Um, it is um, both a hardwiring problem. You know, like, I am wired badly, and a software problem. If we want to use computer analogies, right, um, software, I have, I run faulty programs and faulty logic programs, right? So as a pastor, I am not going to be able to treat you biologically, right? As a pastor, I cannot offer medical advice as to how to treat your anxiety, um, but what I do know is that oftentimes in counseling and therapy situations, they say, have you tried meditation, right? Have you tried prayer? And what I further know that as a pastor, I'm not recommending prayer and meditation to you because I want your anxiety to decrease. I'm offering prayer and meditation to you because I want you to craft a deeper relationship with God. I want you to know that still small voice that is present within you and that we have to get in touch with. And guess what? A side effect of that might be that your anxiety decreases. 
But do you see the difference? I'm not prescribing prayer and meditation because I want to cure your anxiety. I'm prescribing it, if pastors can prescribe, because it's how we get to know God. It's how we build on the foundation of God and, and connect and, and, and work in that attitude of discernment. Okay? So we know that these verses in the scripture passage, they tell us the same story. They are reminding us of the inner work that it takes to live this life, to live in, in as the scripture says, the fear of the Lord. Now that fear of the Lord is not about, um, I was just reading Monsters, Inc. to my daughter the other day. It's not about like being scared of the monster of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is about this reverence and awe and mystery of who God is. So when we are crafting, um, uh, when we are sitting in prayer and meditation and trying to examine and, and get in touch with the fear of the Lord, that's what we're trying to get in touch. And sometimes that can be frightening. No, no joke, right? If you think about the grandness of God. But it's not about cultivating a fear of, like, of something else that's going to produce anxiety. <laughs> right? Um, Essential in knowing God is trusting in God, the scripture passage says. Um, trusting in God as opposed to our own insight, as opposed to our own instincts. Um, know God in all of our ways, in all of the ways that we love our spouse, our partner, our friends, in all of the ways that we don't love our enemies but maybe should. Know God in, in all of these aspects, in, in every way that you live your life. So trust not in your own sort of, that peace within you that wants to choose harm or hurt over love. Trust not in that. Trust in the presence of God within you that chooses love, right? That chooses um, that chooses to be aligned with God's will. Uh, one of my favorite parts of this, now we just finished this sermon series on salvation, so I don't want to dig too deep into um, salvation process, but I love the last line of the scripture passage that says, um, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn from evil. So I was just talking about that. It will be a healing for your flesh and a refreshment for your body. So, we believe in this paradox, and this is what our Salvation Sermon series was about in some instincts, instances, that we, the more we rely on God, in some ways, the more independent we become. The more that we um, dig into this process of salvation and open ourselves up to what God is doing, the more transformation happens, right? That is the salvation process that, that, that is healing for our flesh and refreshment for our body. It is freedom, it is authenticity, it is wholeness that we talked about, right? So the more that we align ourselves with God and open ourselves up to the mystery of God, the more that we are changed and transformed, right? And so that also speaks to this anxiety that we have in our life, that... Um, that the narrative, the primary um, mode of who we are becomes God and not our anxiety. That's not what defines us. Right? So we sit in prayer and meditation, um, and in the course of that, of course, we offer it up to God. 
right? Because it's part of what makes us up. It's part of who we are. Um, and so that is why this week we're focusing on the second line of the serenity prayer, which is to accept the things I cannot change. I hate that line. <laughs> Anybody else hate that line? Yeah. Yes. Acceptance is this weird thing because it is, it is not something we do easily. And it's easier, it's easier to try to press on and push forward and just try hard, right, than to accept. After all, we are cultivated in this culture that tells us if we just try really hard, if we just work really hard and we press forward, we can figure it out. We can make a way, right? And yet this line says to accept the things I cannot change. Now, hear me, uh, when it speaks to, um, when it speaks to, um, we've got backpacks that are being donated. So you could use this line and say, well, there's always going to be poor people. We should just accept that and know we can't change that. I, in all your ways, acknowledge God. That says God's ways are, are to, to bring help for those who need help and to ch- change for those who need change. So that's not what this acceptance is talking about. This acceptance is talking about the things from our past that we continue to obsess over, sort of like when my spiritual director gave me that beautiful story. So we, we have anxiety in three ways, I think. One is our past We look at it and we are anxious over things that have come up that we made mistakes on or things that we feel other people shortchanged us on, right? And we can obsess over that and wonder. And this prayer is saying to accept the things that I cannot change. And our past is just that. It's our past. We also have anxiety in the present. Am I doing okay? Is what I said okay? Am I dressed right? Do people see the real me deep down, or do they see the me that I'm trying to present, right? Um, did, um, is that person looking at me, was that a smile of welcome, or was that a smirk of stay away from me, right? We carry a lot of anxiety in our present, too. And so to accept the things that I cannot change is to accept that that dialogue in our, in our present may not be accurate, right? And then we, we have, I don't know about you, but anxiety about our future, right? What's this going to be like? I have these plans, and this is how I'm trying to get there, and it's not happening. What can I do different? How can I make this happen? This is my plan. Um, no matter if it's our past, our present, or our future, anxiety creeps in and begins to create this narrative that may or may not be true. Right, whether it's our past, present, or future. Seneca, who's this um, ancient philosopher, he's, he was there around the time of Jesus. He says, I love this, he says, um, there are more things to alarm us than harm us. Right? Uh, we suffer more in apprehension than in reality. Ooh, Seneca's wise, isn't he? So alleviating anxiety is a matter of correcting these erroneous perceptions of who we are, accepting that things are probably not as we imagine them, accepting that we probably aren't perfect, and that our future is not going to be exactly as we planned it, 
Um, and it's about letting go. It's about letting go of the need to control and um, move toward that freedom that I was talking about. Um, earlier this week, I read a blog post from a woman named Carolyn Roncolato. She is a member of our Hyde Park Woodlawn um, campus, and she also teaches at CTS, Chicago Theological Seminary. And she wrote this blog about um, struggling for seven years with infertility. After years and years of doctor's visits and medication and special diet and praying without seizing, she said she wasn't praying so much for a baby as to what to do um, and what to, what to do next. What were the answers? She felt dissatisfied. She uses the word dissatisfied. Um, I would be interested in asking her if there was a little bit of anxiety in that too, right? Anxiety covers it, puts itself in a lot of ways. One evening, um, after another month of no life moving within her, she was weeping and praying, and in the midst of that, she felt this loud and clear, wait, wait, wait. And in this answer, she came to realize that waiting did not mean doing nothing, because that's the other thing when we say, they accept the things I do not change, we think, oh, well, I'm supposed to do nothing, right? I'm just supposed to sit here and take it. Waiting does not mean doing nothing, but rather it was an invitation to co-create with God a way out of no way. This new way, she said it was hard work and time. She would have preferred it that God had led her to this perfectly manicured walk, but instead it was more like a hard hike along a rocky cliff. Eventually, she reached a point of acceptance. She doesn't say that word acceptance, but I'm saying it today because it fits with my serenity prayer. She came to a point of realizing, she said, realizing and accepting that her envisioned future, her envisioned future of giving birth to a child would not come to pass. And when she accepted this, she was open to new possibilities. Here's what she says. In order to move forward, I had to, co I had to create a new narrative. With this insight, things began to change. As I worked on creating this new narrative, God showed up in a way where I thought there was no way. I learned that God would not create an answer and hand it down like God would not create a baby and hand it down. I am a co-creator with God. And that required that I, like God, change in light of the reality that confronted me. Moving forward required me to change in response to what had unfolded. I had to create a new community, find people who would give me new wisdom, imagine myself in a new light, ask hard questions, unpack my presumptions, seek answers and resources, and wait. And the way was made, and two years later, we adopted a wonderful baby boy. The serenity prayer says to accept the things I cannot change. And implicit in that is that we change. That we change. And that change is not a willful change of, I'm going to change, damn it. It's a change of opening ourselves up to God, inviting God to be present in all of those spots of our lives that are full of anxiety, of letting go of our envisioned future, past, present,
present and inviting God into it. What do you need to let go of today? Perhaps it's not the future like Carolyn's. Perhaps it's something from your past. Perhaps um, your mother was not there for you the way you needed her to be. Or your father. Perhaps there was a loved one, a spouse that left you. Perhaps you messed up royally and you haven't forgiven yourself yet. What do you need to let go of today? I want to introduce you to a practice called the body prayer. We actually did a portion of it. Body, body prayer is just basically using your body in any way that um, helps you to get in touch and to experience God. So we did that in a way when um, Kelly invited us to extend hands for Santa. That's a body prayer. Um, I'm going to invite you to do that uh, in another way today. I'm going to invite you to stand in a moment. And this is a practice I, w- I would invite you to do this week, kind of like the prayer of examine last week. By the end of the week, you're going to ha- or by the end of the series, you'll have a tool belt of, of ways to connect with God. So I'm going to invite you to stand and put your hands out in a few minutes. In a few minutes. You, I'm going to give you instructions so that you don't have to stand too. I mean, if you want to stand now, you can. I'm going to invite you to clench your fists really tight as you think about the thing that you're holding on to. And I'll say a few words and we'll pray. And then I'm going to invite you to release it. Okay? So that's basically what we're going to do. You're going to have your eyes closed so nobody will see you except for me. And I won't judge. Um, So when you stand, go ahead and, so now you can stand. And spread out a little bit, because it might be at the end that you want to be, like, open, you know, that you really want to use your whole body. So spread out, make room in the aisles, go go wherever you want. Um, But this is a prayer that I hope that you will take, take with you this week. So, firmly root both feet on the floor and distribute your weight evenly on both feet. Close your eyes and extend your hands in front of you at chest level with palms facing out, with fists clenched. Close your fingers tightly, as tight as you can around each other and and as if you're afraid to let go. And let us pray. God of power and strength, Whether we recognize it or not, change takes place in our bodies, in our emotions, and in our desires. And this change feels unruly and unguided. Out of fear, we hold tightly to what we know, what once was in an effort to maintain normalcy. But holding on firmly, living in fear of change is difficult. It's tiresome work, and our bodies ache ache for release. Now, friends, I invite you to open your hands. Open your hands and let go of whatever it is you're holding on. Let go of any tension felt through your fingers and into your palms and up your arms. Spread your fingers apart, stretching them further away from each other, and feel as if water could just pour between your fingers. 
You are a God of change. Bring new life and new hope. You want us to live in the rhythm of that new life and change along with it. We play a part in the midst of your hopes, O God, and your intentions of this world. We are co-creators with you. This is what it means to be born anew. So let go of so we let go of our need to, for perfection, our need for more knowledge, and our need for control. We trust you, O oh God. We pray. We pray, though it is difficult to accept change, even to seek change and to be changed, ever changed by God. You, God, brought churning water out of a rock. You converted water into wine, and we believe that we are not alone in our doubts. And we believe that your love is stronger than our disbelief. No matter how small or undramatic the miracle, make us believers in your change. May we go forth with trust and confidence in the name of our brother and friend, Jesus. Now I invite you to take a deep breath. And I invite you to move your hands to your heart in a posture of devotion. We come to you, God. We come to you, God, to be found more alive in you. We know that we are yours. We are your people. We belong to you, and you belong to us. Amen. And uh, thank you, Santa, for offering your testimony, and for Kelly for praying, and Douglas and Dakota and Peter for hospitality. Friends, we uh, do this every week, and so if you want to find a place to connect in ministry, um, talk to any of those lovely people, um, and I'm sure they will help you. Um, Anxiety is real, and life is hard, and there's a lot of regret and fear of the unknown and what is known, but go forth knowing that you are in the hands of God who wants to create with you and be with you in every moment of your life. Go forth in peace.